0: put a new battery in. May the 25th, 2010, and we're going to have Friday night at the movies, this Friday night at 6.30. We'll have a cartoon again, and our movie is Silent Night. It's a little bit about Christmas, but really it's not a Christmas movie. But I saw that uh, a couple of months ago, and it's a really good movie. So anyway, popcorn, cookies, the regular deal. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Rebound if necessary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are always faithful, immutable. It's impossible for you to change. It's impossible for you to do anything wrong. impossible for you to forget anything. It's impossible for you to lie. But it's altogether possible for us to reach spiritual maturity because your grace is always sufficient. So we pray that you'll help us to continue to inculcate your truth into our soul so that we can think your thoughts, so that we can glorify you. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I was watching the news tonight, and there were some, it really wasn't surprising developments, pretty much what we already know. It says that um, six out of ten people in America today think the country's going in the wrong direction. I'm thinking, finally. (laughs) What took them so long? Uh, and then they were uh, when they talked about the Congress, what they thought the uh, the statistics on the Congress, what kind of job they were doing. It was right at eighty percent of the people said they're doing a pathetic job. It said poor, but I said pathetic. <laughs> and it didn't matter what, uh, whether the uh, I started to say what their denomination was. <laughs> Whether it was uh, Democrats, Republicans, it didn't matter. They said the whole bunch is not doing their job. And so then the very next thing they showed was what they're calling the disaster in the Gulf. And they started showing uh, families. They were talking to uh, these people in Louisiana that their lifeblood is the Gulf. Shrimpers and people who have oysters, uh, oyster uh, they make their living out of that. And they, they showed video of the oils just covered the areas where the oysters were. And he said that it's just wiped out. I mean, it's, when they picked the oysters out of the water, they're just covered with oil. He said, who's going to want to eat oysters that taste like oil? And this uh, for three generations, this particular uh, Cajun man uh, said his family had had this oyster, he had, what was it, 90 acres of oyster um, bed, I guess is what it was, that they have been living off of for generations, and now it's ruined. And he said, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. I don't have a clue even what they're going to do. And there's people all along the Gulf. There's, there's a ban on fishing or anything with regards to the Gulf, and that whole area is completely shut down. I had a good friend that from Arkansas that was going to go, had uh, plans to go and have a fishing trip there. And, of course, they had to cancel it because no boats were going out. And along Florida, I saw on the Florida coast even, the hotels are just devastated. They said they have up to 80% cancellations. And the oil hasn't even got there, to my knowledge, at least not to any extent, but just the threat of it, have the cancellations. Now, when the people aren't going, not only the hotels are, are going to suffer, all of the restaurants, bars, um, the whole um, entertainment, and the um, people who are, uh, live off of tourism. Uh, it's just devastating. And this is just the first volley of what the consequences of what's going to happen. And I've talked to a few people, saw a few emails that said, if this gets into the Gulf Stream, it can take it all over the world. And so uh, sometimes I think that uh, people get so complacent and um, I guess arrogant would be the word because we live in the 21st century and we're so sophisticated and we have all the technology and there's nothing that we can't handle. <laughs> there's something right now that's been going on for a couple of months already in the Gulf, spewing out actually millions of uh, gallons of oil every single day, and they still don't know what to do about it. In fact, they have, I think it's tomorrow, they were going to try another uh, tactic, and they're not very uh, optimistic of whether that's going to happen or not. So the reason I'm, I'm bringing all this up right now is that it fits so perfectly. With what we're studying. Because here we have uh, the Apostle Paul. He's been absent from, uh, or at least not been face to face with the Thessalonian believers for quite a while. And they were going through adversity. And it, it wasn't just that, it was just a cursory type thing, just a little adversity. They were going through big time adversity. And they were new believers because Paul wasn't able to stay with him as long as he would have liked to. And what we're seeing is his great concern for the people that he loved so dearly. And I started thinking about how many people along the coast, really it's not just along the coast, all over the country, maybe all over the world, already people are struggling. They they call it a recession. But... um, No matter what you call it, when people no longer have a job, they can't pay their mortgage, they can't pay their car note, they can't put food on the table hardly, they're out of work. This is big-time suffering. And so it is particularly, um, I guess, timing-wise right for us to be in this section of Scripture at this time. Because it would be a shot in the arm to anyone who tunes in and or read their Bibles, or tunes in on the internet, are or, or here face to face to recognize that there's always something bigger than the adversity that is at hand. Because when this one, when, when whenever the issue in the Gulf is taken care of, it's just a short time to where another thing is going to take its place. That's the way it is on the national scene, the world scene, and it's also. On our individual life, it's the same way, isn't it? I mean, sometimes we have some valleys where we're not um, in the midst of it, but from time to time, adversity is going to enter into our lives, and we have to have the wherewithal, the spiritual acumen, in order to weather the storm. And that's what we're looking at tonight. So let's turn our Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter three. Over with verse four. First Thessalonians chapter three, verse four. <clears throat> By the way, on that same subject, I hope that y'all are remembering some of these people in Louisiana and Florida all along the coast that are, well, they just have no more income. Oh, one other thing, I was going to say, I'm glad I remembered it before we press on. I'm very proud of some of the people in Louisiana, especially the shrimpers, because instead of sitting back and complaining for to the government, the government needs to do something. They've got in their shrimp boats and they've got these booms and they're going out there and they're collecting this this oil that's floating on the surface. And they said, we've got to do it. We can't wait for someone else. This is our livelihood. And uh, BPs, British Petroleum, said that they, they're going to pay them. Whether they do or not is another issue. But my hat is off to someone that will go out there and do what they can and not wait for somebody to do it for them. And that is a, you don't see that all the time. And they were, they were interviewing some of these uh, Cajun men on these, uh, sprint boats, And they said, what are we to do? He said, this is our livelihood. This is how we make a living. We're not going to wait for somebody to try to figure it out. We're going to do what we know we can do right now. And I said, all right. Now, that's something that I'd like to see. So I thought I'd say that before we move on. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to start with verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4. I know we've been here, but we're going back through it quickly just to get us back up to speed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer. You should have we underlined or some kind of mark on it because Paul isn't telling them that only Paul and his cohorts were going to suffer. And he wasn't saying that only the Thessalonians... We're going to suffer. He said, We, meaning both, in both places, we're going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. And the word there, of course, um, we were, uh, when we were with you, we kept telling you. That's the um, imperfect active indicative. And I said, That's a little unusual. We don't see a whole lot of imperfect tenses. The imperfect tense means something that was happening in the past. It was ongoing action in the past. It wasn't completed. Focuses on the fact that it was ongoing. And it's the active indicative mood, meaning it was real, reality. Pro Lego means he was they were telling them beforehand that this was going to be the case. They were going to keep they were going to be suffering. And then we I, I emphasize verse three and four both. You yourselves know, as you know, they, meaning knowing in the present tense. You can know something, or let me put it this way: you could have known something in the past years ago, but now you just can't remember it. How useful is that? Not very useful. If I'm, I'm sure, we're, I'm talking to a, a group here. I see no young people at all. We're all. Uh, <laughs> There's not a spring chicken here. (laughs) So I don't need to uh, highly illustrate how frustrating it can be when you're trying to remember something that you knew in the past. I mean, it was part of you. And now you need it, that information, and it's not there. That can be pretty frustrating, isn't it? The way to keep it fresh in your mind is to keep on taking in that spiritual nourishment. Keep on taking it in. Then it stays fresh. That way it will be present tense. You keep knowing these things. Now verse 5. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. I think this is the verse we ended on last time. See if I can make that just a little smaller. Okay. He says, "For this reason, the reason is because believers, especially new believers, are vulnerable and." can become confused, frightened, and prone to fall back into their old, old, sinful ways. This was his concern. He was run out of town. He couldn't stay there as long as he wanted to. And sure enough, the enemy is going to take advantage of that. You need to remember that. Every time you talk to someone, whether it's a friend, a relative, uh, acquaintance, whoever it is, and you started kind of nurturing them in spiritual matters after you've given them the gospel, you need to remember that they are like a, a, a little baby fawn. Needs protection. Needs nourishing. <laughs> just, came, just came to my mind when I said fawn. I was mowing my, um, the drive up to my house on my riding lawnmower, and I have some trees on the way on each side. And there was some fairly tall grass by one of them. I thought, I'm just going to knock that part down. It doesn't look good. And I was going around it, and all of a sudden this a, a big rabbit jumped up and started walking, you know, running off. Man, that's a giant rabbit. It wasn't a rabbit. It was a little fawn. It had spots all on it. That's how, you know, when I saw the spot. Oh, I just hate, I hated it that here it was down in there really safe. And then here I come along with ah, doing more. And I was within a foot of him before he got up and took off. I'm just glad I didn't hit him with it. And he went off in the grass. I knew just leave him alone. I didn't want to put my scent on him so little the uh, mama would still take care of him. So I hadn't seen him since. But that's how baby believers are. They're like a little fawn. They just they need a lot of care and attention by the mother. And they need to be protected and looked after. He knew that. And that's why uh, when it says he could endure it no longer, he was responsible for these people. He's the one that gave them the gospel uh, was nurturing them spiritually, was giving them everything they needed in order to grow and mature. And then before he could get that far along, he had to leave. His very life was at stake. And he had to make a decision. He needed Timothy, as well as all his other companions there um, in, I, I, I don't remember what it was Berea or... Uh, no, it was in Athens. And he... Had to make a decision and finally he couldn't endure anymore. He said, I'm going to make a command decision. I'm going to send Timothy. And that's what he was uh, struggling with. It was not that he wasn't faith resting, it was just struggling with an issue. And anytime you have responsibility, isn't that the case? A lot of people, everybody wants to be the boss, but nobody wants the responsibility. So when you are in charge, you're always going to have these responsibilities. And a good leader is going to be able to make those command decisions and not put them off indefinitely. Sometimes even making the wrong choice is better than making no choice at all. And so uh, we looked at the word endure. It means to uh, cover over in silence, to hold out, forbear, or endure. And that's what he was struggling with. He said, I also sent out to find out about your faith. Remember, we, we really put some time in this, didn't we, about the faith. It wasn't that he was not concerned about their safety. He certainly was concerned about their security. But what mattered more than anything to him was their faith. And if you want to substitute the word their doctrine, for faith, it would work just as well. He was concerned that they would fall back in their old wheel ruts, and then he would have, as we will see, uh, have labored in vain. And then I just say, here's, who's, who's to say that one belief is better than another one? Of course, I said here, God says, what you believe matters. And it, this whole, I have something, yeah, here it is. It says, um, actually, you are what you think, what you say, what you do, and how you do it are all um, predicated on what you believe. Now, uh, last time we had a, a, a little a review with regards to uh, the fear. Fear that the tempter might have tempted you. And the word there, fear, that normally comes to mind, which is phobos in the Greek, is not there. It's just a may, a negative may. And we went over that. It implies that uh, he was concerned about them. Uh, his desire was that they would stay the course. And then the tempter, of course was, as we will see, is, is Satan. And we have the tempter, Perazzo. Remember, this can mean either tempting or testing. And if it's referencing God, it's always what? Testing, never tempting. Because James 1.13 says that no one, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. That is, tempting them to do evil. And then I ask, who was the tempter in Genesis 3? Satan. Who was he tempting? Eve, the woman. And then in Matthew chapter 4, you have uh, Satan uh, tempting Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. Uh, When we had our first young people's class, I, one of the questions was, um, wasn't Christ... He, he did, the, the young man didn't know how exactly how to frame the question, but he said he had a problem with Christ being tempted because he thought being tempted was a sin. I said, no, being tempted is not a sin. It's succumbing to the temptation that's the sin. And I gave him, a, I think, a illustration that he could certainly... Identify with because he's a a young man in his uh, middle to late teens. He's already in uh, looking at girls, and I said when you when you see a girl that's maybe in a short skirt and really shapely, you know, and you look over there and you see her, you that's being you may be tempted. I mean you 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 can't help but see her, and young ladies ought to bear in mind that they should dress in a way that they don't cause their, the young men to sin. It's a powerful thing that they can do. Is uh, In fact, I have been in rooms before and just watched the men's head when somebody comes in in a short skirt and a tight sweater and everything. It's like all their heads are on a string. All of them together. In unison. They look. Now that look is being tempted, but it's not a sin because you look and you might think, mm, that's a good looking gal. And then you look away. That is not a sin. But if you look and you don't look away and you start really goggling, you're really staring at this woman and you start running all these scenarios in your head, uh, then you get into sin because you yielded to a temptation. Because, uh, well, anyway, that illustration I think uh, he identified with. So, uh, here we have uh, because this is going to be coming from Satan, it's going to mean what? Does it mean testing or tempting? It's tempting, yeah. First Peter five, eight and nine. Be sober of spirit, on the alert, your adversity, the devil. Prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him how? Firm in your faith. Firm in your doctrine. Knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. This is very comforting to people who are suffering that, to realize that they're not the only ones. Well, I've, now I remember this word. I was going to ask you all today when you first came in. Uh, are you all sagacious tonight? How many of you are super sagacious? How many of you remember what sagacious means? You might think wise, but it means acute mental discernment. And where does discernment come in? From the Word of God. This, you know, I, more and more, I am—I uh, I guess I could say—impressed with how important discernment is in life. So it, it, we, we like to think of it as black and white, all issues, but there are very few issues really that are black and white. There's so many. Great areas that takes discernment. And the more doctrine you have in your soul, the more time you log in being filled with the Holy Spirit, the more discernment you're going to have. So in our day and age where there is so much deception, so many lies out there that everybody's buying into, it's really important for us to have discernment so we all need to be sagacious. I like that word. There it is, right there. Uh, Paul wanted to make sure that they were sagacious. S-A-G-A-C-I-O-U-S. Hmm. Sounds a little bit like gracious, doesn't it? We should be sagacious and sagacious. <laughs> super gay, super uh, sagacious and super gracious. All right. Anyhow, acute mental discernment and keen practical sense. Maybe even shrewd. Okay, now we're plowing new ground and our labor should that our labor should not be in vain. It's possible for a Bible doctrine to be taught day after day, week after week, month after month. All this uh and the believers still not be uh sagacious because they're hearers of the words and they're not doers of the word. I thought we went over this already, didn't we? Y'all remember this? Oh we hadn't? Okay. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember because I actually studied this about three days ago. I mean, when I was preparing. And then uh, I've talked to people between now and then about different issues like this. So it's hard for me to remember if we did it or not. Okay. Uh, This is why believers have to consistently take in the Word because they don't If they don't, a vacuum is created... In their soul that sucks in human viewpoint and lies. There are lies everywhere. Life is like walking through a field with landmines with land all in it, and they're not in the surface. Under you know, they're, they're underneath the surface. But if you have discernment, if you have the mental uh, acuity, spiritually speaking, then they it's as if they become visible for you. It's the discernment that we need. It's the lies. It's the deception that people fall into. This has nothing to do with losing eternal salvation. He wasn't thinking that maybe I've been laboring in vain, thinking that now they're all going to hell. (laughs) You know, we can all kind of giggle at that because we know how absurd it is. But most people that would go to this scripture would think that's probably what he has in mind because they don't understand, nor do they adhere to the doctrine of eternal security. So it has nothing whatsoever to do with eternal security. Paul was not afraid that their faith in Christ was in vain. It was all the work he put into training them that he thought might possibly be in vain. And that can happen. There's not a pastor that's been around for very long that he hasn't, seeing certain pe- people in their congregation, maybe even consistently. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. You never see them again. And next thing you know, they're out, you know, doing wacko, weirdo things. And they have completely reversed their value system. Well, what happened? They got away from doctrine, the vacuum in their soul sucked into lies, and now they're out in la la land. So it can happen. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 through 8 is one sentence. Here it is. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. (laughs) I bet y'all are anxious to get to the really living, huh? Do you you see that part? Now we really live. Well, we'll see. We've got a few things first. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, the conjunction but lets us know that Paul no longer had to wonder if the labor was in vain. Timothy made the journey and reported back to Paul with good news. Can you imagine how good this was to Paul? I mean, he was, he, he was glad that he made the right choice in sending Timothy, but still, it doesn't matter how much doctrine you have, there's a bit of anticipation. I didn't say anxiety, but you're a bit, maybe a bit anxious because you don't know until it's reported back. That it was good news. So he had to be just jubilant about this. And has brought us good news. This is the same word translated as the gospel. Euangelion is what the word is. What verse comes to mind? Oh, you all see it. Did you all see it? Nope. You saw it then. (laughs) This thing. What verse comes to mind when you think of good news? Did y'all really not see it? Okay. I, I, when I, I, I'm asking you this because it instantly came in my mind when I thought about good news. It's James chapter 1. All good things and every perfect gift comes from the Father. It comes from above. There it is. James 1.17 Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above. Period. It's not because you're so smart. It's not because you did everything right. Everything. Every good thing. The bestowed really is just in this particular translation. And every perfect gift is from above. Can y'all think of two perfect gifts that come from above that every believer has? Yeah, our salvation, which consists of eternal life and what else? God's righteousness. Aren't those gifts perfect gifts? They have to be perfect because God is perfect. It's the only thing He accepts. So every perfect gift and every good thing comes from above. How many times do we receive good things in life and forget to thank God for them? Does that ever happen? Maybe I should say, did that happen today? <laughs> That's why I have this here, because more and more as I'm growing older, more and more doctrine that I get, the more and more I'm impressed that it's about God and it's not about me. And whenever I think about good things, I don't hesitate. I'm thinking about thank you, thank you, Lord, whatever it is. Even the little bitty things that happen, we ought to be thanking the Lord for. Because if it wasn't for the Lord, there would be no good things. There would not even be any good little things. We would have nothing to be thankful for. And I have a strong suspicion that if we're not thanking Him for the little things, we're not thanking Him for the big things either. So I think this is part of the discernment. This comes with, with more of a... Um, the more doctrine you have, the more of an attitude of thankfulness we have, but especially towards the Lord. Every one of us should be catching ourselves saying more and more, Thank you, Lord. Throughout the day, even on the little things. Do you think that's redundant? Do you think the Lord said, "Just back off"? You've said that enough. I don't hear it anymore. You think? No. Just the, opposite. the Bible tells us God loves praise from us and thanksgiving, and we can't do it enough because when we understand what this means, every every good thing. Thank you, Lord. And sometimes I think it's good to say it out loud because I've said it out loud before, and people say, "Would you say?" Well, I just thank the Lord that you know this hamburger is made just right, just the way I like it. You thank the Lord for that, yeah. You know, there could have been a roach in it. I don't know. <laughs> that would be very distasteful. <laughs> So, he's brought us the good news. And uh, no doubt, I don't have even the slightest doubt that Paul wasn't saying, thank you, Lord, because this was a big deal with him. And so, he says, um, and has brought good news of your faith and love. Their faith towards God was stable, and their love for Paul was as strong as ever. Faith, and you could say doctrine here, gives the capacity to love. It was the doctrine in their souls that got them through the suffering. Like, here's an example rebound, faith rest, and a personal sense of destiny. Just think how far those will carry you when you're in adversity. And the first one, of course, I have there is rebound because you're going to need it. Isn't that true? There's not one of us that can go through any sizable adversity without needing rebound because we are going to get into some kind of mental attitude sin. It probably won't take long. So we need rebound, and then we have automatically the filling of the Holy Spirit. We have faith rest, personal sense of destiny. These are the big ones that help get us through these things. Verse 7, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction we were comforted about you through your faith. Through your faith could be understood as about your faith because that was really what they were concerned about more than anything. As Paul and Timothy were a source of comfort and encouragement to the believers in Thessalonica, now they have become a source of comfort and encouragement to Paul and his companions. Isn't that neat? That's the way it works. Um, I experience that firsthand all the time. Hopefully, the teaching through this ministry, that God is using this ministry to give you comfort and encouragement through the inculcation of His Word. But I, like Paul or any other communicator of the Word, is always wondering, how, are, are they getting it? Are, are, are they being encouraged and comforted from the Scriptures? And it's not my responsibility, nor is it right for me to take a clipboard and follow you around all day. And here's the good side, here's the pluses, and here's the minuses, and I'm doing all the check marks. By the end of the day, I come up and see if there's more pluses or minuses. And that's not what we do. It's not not. It's not even our business. But when I hear people come to me, and I hear this every ne- nearly every day, I hear from someone. I heard from someone today, called me on the phone, was telling me about how... Thankful he was of the doctrine that he had. Got in it, it was just an obscure thing. He went to this. I'm not going to give you details. It doesn't matter. But he he was talking to a person that he found out knew a lot about the Bible. This particular person didn't believe in churches though. Period. So he did his own study, and he knew quite a bit of a few things, but it was disjointed. He couldn't put it all together. There was no systematic theology in what he believed. And so when this person that goes to this church was talking to him, he was asking him questions. Why? One of the questions he asked him, well, why do you think God gave the spiritual gift of pastor-teacher if you don't need it? I mean, if all you need to do is sit at home and read your Bible, study it for yourself, why would he give that gift of pastor-teacher? And what does it mean in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, when it, we are commanded to assemble ourselves together. And the guy said, well, that's what we're doing now. You know, we're assembling ourselves together. Of course, that's not the context of uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And his theology, whew, it was all over the place. He was a post-tribulationalist rapture. Um, believed, In fact, this person asked him, this is what would concern me, and I'm glad that he asked him, he asked him the right question, he says. What do you do? What do you have to do to be saved? He said the guy just talked and talked, and he couldn't figure out what it was. And he said, "Let me put it this way: What is the gospel?" And the guy said, "Well, the gospel is about the kingdom, and that would concern me because the gospel isn't. Uh, maybe the kingdom has a little minor part to play, but the gospel isn't just about the kingdom." So anyway, I, I won't go any more deep. It doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is when I have people telling me how they are applying their doctrine and helping other people, maybe even aren't even, that aren't even saved, by giving them the gospel, imparting doctrine in all of its different spheres to, to different people, then I'm encouraged. You see how that works? Because I think that's the way it's, it's got to work. If a pastor is doing his job and he's teaching the word accurately and the people are getting it they're going to be encouraged and emboldened to speak they're not going to be confused they're going to be able to put the dot you know connect the dots and give it to other people and then what's going to happen is they're going to be able to encourage other people and when they get back to the communicator of the word then he's encouraged and when that's taking place then i think the church is headed in the right direction but if a church is not doing that Then it stagnated, and something is wrong. And most of the time, it's because the pastor isn't doing his job. Because you can't encourage and motivate other people spiritually speaking if you're not spiritually motivated yourself. And the pastor can't be spiritually motivated unless he is learning and growing also. And unfortunately, most and all that comes from the word. And a lot of them are—it's just all entertainment and all that. So, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and reflection, we were comforted about you through your faith. Verse 8. For now, we really (laughs) live... And I hate to burst your bubble, but the adverb really is not present in this verse. It's not there. However, the idea of enthusiasm and fervor is. So, I think the translators of the New American Standard Version, which is a formal translation. I mean, they try to stick as close to the text as possible. I don't know of any other translation that is more critical with regards to staying right as close to the original as they can. But this is one of those few times it looks like they couldn't help it. They just had to throw that adverb in there because it really gives the flavor and the sense that uh, it, 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 I guess it's an idiomatic expression of enthusiasm and exaltation when you heard the good news. Now, this is the way they would express it. And then we have, if you stand firm in the Lord. For now we really, I really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Now, that's a conditional clause there, isn't it? I mean, it's predicated. They're really living if they're standing, that would be the Thessalonians, are standing firm in the Lord. Now, this is an odd construction of this conditional clause. Because normally, I know Vidal would probably follow this, uh, normally, when you have a, a conditional clause, it's either first, second, third, or fourth class conditional clause. And if you have a first class conditional clause, the protasis will start with A, E-I, and then it will have, in the protesis, it will have an indicative mood, normally. If you're not following me, it's okay, but I'm just trying to explain how this is unusual. Here, this conditional clause starts out with E a n, and that normally is the third class conditional clause, and it has a subjunctive mood in the apodosis but this is the first time i saw this this is a third class i mean this is a, a conditional clause that starts out with ian usually when you see ian for which is translated if it's going to be a third class conditional clause because when you look in the apodosis that was the second part of the conditional clause you'll see a subjunctive mood but this wasn't a subjunctive mood it was an indicative mood I never, i've never seen that before so i reference some of the experts on this and their consensus was that it is acting as a first class conditional clause as if in other words he expected them to continue that so he's not he's exalting he is uh, has such enthusiasm for this good news and so when you say if you stand firm in the Lord it's not okay I can exalt, but it's really kind of limited exaltation because you've done it up to now, but I have no idea whether you're going to do it in the future. This construction shows that he was expecting them to do it in the future. They did it in the past. He, he expected them to continue that in the future. Now, I know that's no big deal with you, but I just thought I would throw that out because uh, it is, uh, gives more weight to his enthusiasm because this is not a third-class conditional flaw. Paul recognized they were standing firm in the past and he expected them to stand firm in the future. Okay, we don't have much time left, but we're going to go into some scriptures now that has to do with standing firm. If you want to have a list of scriptures that have to do with standing firm, here they are. It's a big deal for Paul. And Peter also, we have two apostles that are really emphasizing standing firm. So here we go. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Now, this is referencing mankind. This is also referencing women. And when it says act like men, it doesn't mean that you need to cut your hair short, start smoking cigars, and start swaggering around and cursing. It's just saying, like a man should be firm when it's time to be firm, women can do the same thing, or should do the same thing. When it comes to doctrine, you do not want to neutralize or compromise doctrine. 2 Corinthians one twenty four. But we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. See, You can't have joy without standing firm. So these are, uh, again, this is Paul. And it's not Paul by himself, but his companions. Now we're talking about his ministry to the Corinthians. He says, we work with you for whose joy? Their joy. He wants them to have joy, but you can't have joy. You can't have inner happiness apart from standing firm in your faith, in your doctrine. If you are not standing firm, you're vacillating, you're confused, you're just miss. Galatians 5.1 It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not subject, be subject again to the yoke of slavery. You know, Galatians is probably one, if not the strongest epistles in the New Testament. I mean, he excoriates these believers. He, you stupid Galatians! I mean, that's the way it comes across. And what he is exhorting them here is not to fall back into legalism. Stand firm in the grace, in the doctrine, the things that you found out. And don't fall back into the yoke of slavery, slavery there being legalism. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 before I even, I'm going to hide it for just a second there. Ephesians chapter 6. How many of you know, and I won't see any hands, I just want you to be thinking about this. How many of you know of something that's particular in Ephesians chapter 6 that is going to be brought up in this verse? When you When you hear Ephesians chapter 6, something ought to jump into your mind. Do you know what the Bible describes there? Some of you do. Maybe some of you don't. It's the armor the Roman soldier putting on the armor of God. So just keep that in mind. You've heard of all that, you know, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, all this is in Ephesians chapter 6 and this is going to come out here. Ephesians 6:13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm Everything to stand firm. There's more than one thing to standing firm. You know, we emphasize, and I think rightly so, that you have to have doctrine in your soul to be able to stand firm. But what else do you have to have? Come on, y'all tell me. I'm, you know, That is one thing that you need. Very important. But what else? This is that we've done everything in order to stand firm. What else do we need to do? Filling of the Holy Spirit. What else? Study. Y'all are leaving out a major one. What? Application? Yeah, that's good. I'm still waiting for the biggie here. Yeah? Yeah, all those are good, but it's not the one I'm looking for, and it's big. Y'all are leaving out one of the biggies. To be able to stand firm, what do you have to have? you got to have knowledge. You have to have the doctrine. You have to apply it. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What else? There you go. Prayer. <laughs> I could have had a V8. <laughs> Prayer. Woo, that's a biggie. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, this is tough. You've got to make everybody think. Philippians 1.27 Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, "...so that whether I come and see you or remain absent..." That kind of sounds like he's talking to the Thessalonians, doesn't it? "...I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit." Isn't that what he was wrestling with, with the Thessalonians? He was concerned whether they were going to stand firm. "...that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel." That's what we need to be doing. This is what was really important to um, Paul when he wrote to the Philippians. That sounds so close to what he was saying in Thess- to the Thessalonians, doesn't it? He was concerned that he was absent from them. He wanted to hear that they're standing uh, firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then we have in... Uh, Philippians 4, one. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Does that not sound like what we just went over in Thessalonians? He said, you are my exaltation. You are my reward. Now he's calling the Philippians his crown, his joy and his crown. Because of that, he says, stand firm in the Lord. My beloved. By the way, most of these are in the imperative mood, and most of them are in the present tense. Okay, I'm talking about the word uh, to uh, stand firm, Titus one nine. Now I grant you, Titus one nine is uh, reaching. Is, the context is is a pastor. You have Paul uh, uh, writing to Titus, and he's giving him instructions with regards to um, the pastors, the, the, the going-to-be pastors. He says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in found doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. He has to hold firm to the trustworthy word that it holds true for pastors Pastors, but it also holds true for you also. Got a whole firm in that. Give it, and you should, be, you should be passing along the instructions, the things that you learn here. You ought to be passing on to your children, to your grandchildren, to your friends, anybody that uh, has an ear, you're ready to give it to them. Now look at this in Second 2 Thessalonians 2.15. In his second letter, again, he's going to make this issue. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by mouth. That means whether uh, they were writing you know, the word or speaking the word uh, by word of mouth or by letter from us. Stand firm. So that's what God expects us to do. and It's in the affirmative. It's a uh, it's a command. Um, I've got two more scriptures here, but I think I'm going to save the last two scriptures for next time, and I'm going to give you a hint of what we're going to do um, the next time we meet. I'm going to, you know, we're talking about standing firm. I'm just giving you a heads up before the next time we meet because I'm going to be asking you. What happens? What words come to mind when you're not standing firm? Okay? I'm going to be asking you those questions. So in the meantime, you can be thinking, okay, we've been emphasizing the commands. We are to stand firm. We understand what that means. We have to have that doctrine. We have to apply that doctrine before we're able to stand firm. But I want you to come up with some words that come to your mind When that's not the case, when you're not standing firm, what words would apply to you or anyone else when you're not standing firm? That's not a homework assignment. I'm just telling you ahead of time. I'm going to be asking you, if you want to shine, (laughs) make a little note of that, okay? All right, let's close. Father, thank you for this time you've given us, the fellowship in your Word. We're so thankful that you've given us the capacity to love you so that now we can love others. And we thank you for the time that you've given us to be face-to-face. Uh, that's another thing that we need to thank you for that we usually take for granted. This is a local church. It's a family of believers here that are close. And we can encourage and be able to lift each other up. And we thank you for that. We might not always have that that uh, luxury. So we thank you for it and pray that you will help us to have proper appreciation for this and indeed all things because of your grace. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.